Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I think that one of our greatest pastimes, one of the things that we love to do as Americans, probably more than anything else, is we love to bash people. We love to bash things. Uh, we love to, to, to be hard on stuff and to get mad and all this stuff. You know, uh, I love, I think we actually like that sometimes more than being in a good mood. I know I, I'll say it, I've said it probably before. I like to watch Aaron Rodgers lose about as much as I like to watch the Vikings win. All you Packer fans, you always are like, oh, you guys like that more? Yes, we do. I'm sorry. Just, it's, there's some kind of twisted pleasure I get in seeing the Packers lose. I like to bash guys when they wear skinny jeans. I'm sorry. I, this is, these are slim. They're as skinny as I'll ever go. Found a pair that I liked. I bought three pairs of them because uh, that's what I do. But I will... Every time in my head, I, I bash guys when they wear skinny jeans. I, I apologize for that. Yesterday, my daughter was driving. She's got her temps, which is scary beyond belief. And we're driving down right road, and she looks up in her rearview mirror. And she's like, "Guy, this this guy is really close to me, Dad." And I look back, and I'm telling you, like, right on the back end of our car. And so now, like, protective dad is taking over, and I'm like looking back behind, trying to get the guy's attention, like. I mean, he doesn't know how small I am when he's just looking at me when I'm in the front seat of the car from back there. And so yeah, I can act tough. And he stayed on, on the rear end of our car for the longest time. Finally, right at a stop sign, he like pulls up just as close as he can to get on the side of it. And I, I told Abby, I'm like, just pull out. The guy pulls out around. And then he, he starts flashing fingers outside of, the, of his window. I think he was trying to say, he was doing this, like it was 35 mile an hour zone. I'm like, she was going 35. I don't know what. And so the rest of the way she's driving to work, I am like livid and bashing this guy in front of my daughter. Um, Because that's, there's something that we we almost like with that. Um, She's laughing right now because she knows exactly what I'm talking about. we just, we have these things that, that come up in us. With friends, we like to bash other people. Like, look at that guy. What's wrong with them? And in the back of my head, I'm always like, I wonder what they say about me. <laughs> we like to bash successful people. It makes us feel better. We like to bash things so much, but then, have you ever been in that place where you experienced it where you were bashing something for a long time, and then there came a point where you realized, oh, the thing I was bashing, I actually like it. I would do, when it came to Marvel in DC, I, before I even watched all the Marvel movies, I was just like, Batman's the best. D- DC is the best. They can't, they can't even match. Uh, Marvel can't match DC. And then I watched all the Marvel movies. I'm like, holy cow, this is amazing. And I, I hated to admit that they were kind of great. Um, for the longest time, my, my mom and my sister, for like 20 years, I was buzzing my hair. And they would try to get me. I don't know why my mom and my sister cared so much, but my little sister and my mom like, you need to grow your hair back out. I'm like, no, that's dumb. It costs money. I have to get haircuts. And finally I did it, and I realized my wife liked it. And so I, I kept going. And so we bash things until like we finally figure out maybe it's not so bad. Why do I say all this? I say this because I believe one of the things that people in America like to bash maybe more than anything else is the church. 
there's been a lot of hurt that a lot of people have, have seen. Maybe not even personally, but there's, there's hurt that people see throughout, throughout the ages. I mean, you can go back through 2,000 years and t- say, s- bring up so many situations where the church has done wrong. And so we've got people that like to bash the church, even if they've never been a part of it. And I think a lot of what it is, a lot of times it's because we haven't had the experience with church that the Bible would hope that we would have had. Humans have given lots of reasons for people to bash the church. Ministers have repeatedly been found living double lives. People in churches are oftentimes nasty to each other. Sometimes people have done enough to meet the tangible needs of people outside the church. Abuses have occurred. And so, yes, there are reasons why people bash the church and think negatively about it. But I want us to be really clear as we're going to talk about this today. The faults of the church are with people. They're not with Jesus. They're not with the vision for what Jesus has for the church. The faults of the church are with people. And so we're starting up a new series today called Central Strong. And really what we're trying to do in this series is help you see what the the vision of our church actually is. We want you to catch the vision that, that we want to help make people strong. We want to help families. We want to help you. We want to help you help your families and the people around you to make you strong in a walk with Christ. Some of you might have legitimate questions about the church, though. Man, I've, I've been in the church. Stop it. Siri talking to me. I don't know why. Uh, some of you might have legitimate questions about the church, just like, I mean, I've been raised and, and grown up in the church all my life, and there's sometimes I get frustrated with the church. Um, you know, a lot of times as I'm talking today about the church, it's, it's our understanding of the, the, the universal church, the body of Christ, not just necessarily even this specific church. But is the church really good enough to help me become something better? Is the church something that I can trust? Is the church something that I can be proud of in today's world? Because most of the world is, is trying to tell you that it's not something good, that it's not something you can be proud of. So I hope that we can kind of answer some of those questions today. Uh, I hope that you could walk out of here with a new hope renewed in what the church is, what the church is meant to be. You know, and, and over the course of 2020 and, and beyond that, I think a lot of people were even more disillusioned to what the church is. But I believe as we're going to talk about, we're going to look at three passages today um, that I think are going to help us see here's why the church is good. Now, I do want you to understand, I, I don't necessarily, my biggest thing is not whether or not you think the church is good. My thing is, I want you to see that Jesus is good. But I think a lot of times for us to get to that place where we see Jesus as good, we have to come to understand the thing that he put in place, which is the church. We have to start to see that as being something good. And so today, that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. Why is the church good? And the first thing I want us to look at, again, we're going to look at three passages with this. But the first reason why the church is good is because it is custom built by Jesus. Now that might not mean much to you. Like, I'm who cares if it's custom built by Jesus? It still messes up all the time. The people of Jesus or the church. It helps me to remember that it's not Jesus that is messing things up at times. We're people and we are faulted. We mess up. But Jesus, the Bible is clear that Jesus is perfect in everything that he does. He never sinned. He's perfect. And so if he puts something in place like the church, if, if that was something that he wanted to have happen, 
then it makes me go, man, there's, there must be something to it. There must be something good and positive. And so here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16. He starts in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, son of Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In this passage, you see that Jesus calls out Peter as being the one that he's going to build his church on. That he is the rock. But I, do you also understand that Peter was a completely messed up dude? He was maybe, as you look in the Gospels, he might have been one of the most insecure of all the disciples. He messed up oftentimes. He had biases against people that didn't look like him. I think there was a point in his, in his life, even even after the time that he had known Jesus, where you could say he was racist. And God had to finally weed that out of him. He also denied Jesus. In the moment where he thought that he was probably going to die along with Jesus, he denied him. And so Peter is a completely messed up dude. And see, we often look at the failures of the church and we think that it means that something is wrong with the church. But the truth is, is that there's something wrong with people. There is a sin problem that affects every single one of us. And you see, after Jesus, after Jesus was talking to Peter here, who do people say I am? Peter acknowledged Jesus as being the Son of God. And so he calls, he changes his name from Simon to Peter because Peter means the rock. He's the rock that Jesus is going to start and build his church from. But what is it about Peter that makes him that? He's a messed up dude. And I want to say it, it, we see it in this discourse with Jesus. What is it that makes Peter the rock? It's what he says about who Jesus is. It's that he, he is the first one that we see of all the disciples claiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's that declaration that makes him the rock. It, it's that declaration that is a rock that Jesus is able to say, you now are the rock on which I'm going to build this church. We might be messed up in so many ways. But I'm telling you, when we, when we look to who Jesus is and the church declares Jesus as being the Son of God, the one who died for us, all the other stuff that gets messed up sometimes, it, it's kind of off in the distance. See, the church is an imperfect, imperfect representation of a perfect heavenly kingdom of God. The church is an imperfect representation. You know, in life, we are, we're not going to get heaven. There is nowhere, no time on, on this earth, in this life, where we're going to experience heaven. And so if you've walked into a church thinking that this is going to be the place that's going to, everything is going to get right and feel right and be right, it's just not the case. Every single church is going to have fault because it's, it's got faulted people in it. But Jesus built the church unfaulted people. But he built it with a message that can... 
that when that message gets across, I don't care how many times we fail, I don't care how many times there's ministers out there who, who make incredibly grievous mistakes and whole churches uh, just kind of fall by the wayside because of it, all of that can happen, but when we get back to who Jesus is, the life and the story of Jesus changes people's lives. And so, if we can get to that place where Jesus is being proclaimed, I'm telling you, Jesus keeps building his church despite attacks. Jesus keeps building his church despite our flaws and our failures. How does he keep doing it? It's that in the face of everything we get wrong, the gospel still makes a difference. The gospel of what Jesus did come into this world for us to give us freedom through dying on the cross, it changes things. So as long as that message will continue to spread, that is a perfect message. There is nothing perfect in this world that you and I are ever going to experience, but I'm telling you, the gospel, the message of Jesus, it is absolutely perfect. You try and find something imperfect about Jesus, and if you can find it, I will give you all the money that I have because it ain't there. Jesus, he built his church. He custom built his church. Even if it had to be building it through faulted people. Using faulted people. So I believe the church is good because it is custom built by Jesus. But I think there's another thing that we're, we're going to see here that makes the church good. The church is good because of who gets in. The least, the lonely, and the lost. Again, in, in man's imperfection, this truth about how the church is supposed to be lived out, it doesn't always get lived out completely well. There are, there are experiences that people have where they don't feel as though they are the least, the lost, the lonely, and they're being welcomed into a church experience, into the body of Christ. But I tell people no. Church done at its best is church where every type of person is involved and is a part of it. Now I'm going to take you to um, a story in Luke chapter 7. And wh where we get to in this passage is Jesus is in the home of a, of a Pharisee. And these Pharisees, they thought they had that come perfect. They thought that they were all awesome um, and that they got it. But there's a woman that comes into this story. She comes into this Pharisee's home, and she is considered like the sinner of all sinners in the town. And something about Jesus overwhelms her to the point that she starts weeping. And as she's weeping, her tears, she's letting her tears fall on Jesus' feet, and she's taking her hair, and she's brushing Jesus' feet with her tears. And this is what happens in the story. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think all of us, one of the ones that everybody, this woman was one of the least, one of the lonely. One of the ones that everybody just wanted to kind of expel from the community. She was lost. But in the presence of Jesus, her life got flipped, turned upside down. How many of you are singing the song in your head? I love saying that. I'm so, there's never a bad time for a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reference like that. But her life got flipped, turned upside down by Jesus. No matter how lost she was, she wasn't so lost that Jesus couldn't change her. I absolutely love how Jesus can take the most lost are the lost ones that are the lost ones. See, I think Jesus flips everything on its head. Paul talks about it in a lot of his, his letters, that Jesus makes the weak strong and the strong weak. He uses the weak to shame the wise. And that's what's actually happening in this story. I think what Jesus is trying to showcase here is he wants a change of understanding, a change of mindset for, for this Pharisee. See, the person who turns away someone because they consider them lesser than, they have it all wrong. This Pharisee had it all wrong. The, this Pharisee was more lost than the person that he thought was lost, which was this woman. And see, a church that behaves by casting people out because so-and-so is lost and, and, and have no hope, they've no longer, that, that church has no longer become a church. In the story that Luke tells us, Jesus is kind of insinuating to the Pharisee that it's the woman who is the one who is lost. It's the woman who has had so much to be forgiven that she loves Jesus so much because of it. But I think what he's trying to say is, when he says somebody who's, who's been forgiven little, loves little, he's trying to get the Pharisee to realize, you have been forgiven much, just like this woman has. Romans talks about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care how much we feel we've sinned or how little we feel we've sinned. We're all in the same place with God. We all have the same judgment. And the bottom line is, we have to see ourselves as the least, as the lonely. It's easiest for me to open up to the least and the lonely and the lost in my life if I'm actually seeing myself as that very person. You know, Paul described himself uh, as the worst of all sinners. The guy that wrote a third of the New Testament, who was one of the main leaders in the early church, thought of himself as the worst of all sinners. This room is supposed to see ourselves as one who has been in the story as the one who has little to be forgiven. That's when we start to become people who judge and who cast others aside. That's not what the church is called to be. You and I are supposed to see ourselves like this woman saw herself. Let's be honest. I am the least. I am the lonely. I am the lost. And only God's grace through what Jesus did on the cross is going to restore my life to what it should be. It's not my doing. I am the one in Jesus' story who needs the most forgiveness. And I'm telling you, if we can take that mindset every single day, the way that we're going to look at people is going to be healthy the way that Jesus wants it to be.
A state of humility forges a presence of hospitality. I'm going to read that one more time. A state of humility forges a presence of hospitality. When I am a person who chooses to, to be humble in the way that I see myself, that my sin is just as much as the next person, I will know how, what it looks like to be hospitable. When somebody comes through a door, I'm not going to look at them as anything but somebody that I'm meant to love and to care for. The church is good because you don't have to be perfect to get into the church. In fact, you are, you are expected to not be perfect to be in the church. So, let's look at one more reason why I think that we can see the church is good. The church is also good because we get to be people who are difference makers. And I love this in 1 Peter 4.10. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Uh, I used to I used to love painting houses in the summers when I was uh, in high school and college. Um, it's just a really good job. I got to make my own hours. Uh, we're talking in the late 90s, early 2000s. As a high school, college kid, I was making like 15 bucks an hour in the summer. Really good money back then. And so I loved it. But I also loved um, taking eight hours and I could just sit and listen to uh, a a radio broadcast. Uh, we'd call them podcasts now, but we didn't have podcasts back then. So I, that's when I started listening to podcasts and started listening to books. And I, I love just sitting in a house and painting a room for eight hours. I loved the finished product. I loved painting a room and, and taking a room that looked like garbage beforehand. And all of a sudden, you paint it and, and the whole room looks like it's brand new. There is something about making a difference somewhere that I think God has embedded it in us. That... He, we want to make a difference. And I believe that the church is, an, is a place that God has gifted to us so that we can do the very thing that he's called us to do, which is to make a difference. We are meant to make a difference. We're not meant to just sit around and do nothing with our lives. We're not meant to just do things that don't make a difference in people's lives. We're called to make a difference, and it feels right when we do that. The church is a place where we can regularly make that kind of a difference. Whether it's walking into this building in, on a Sunday morning and just having a smile on your face and connecting with people, we don't have to have any titles whatsoever. There's something about the church that God has given to us that we're able to become difference makers. That's why we call our volunteers difference makers at this church, because we believe in being difference makers. Again, I believe it's a calling, it's a longing that God has birthed into us when he created us. To make a difference. And some of us, we go, we go through our weekly lives, and maybe, maybe you have a job like I did, where I'm making a difference in a, in a room painting it, but maybe I don't feel like I'm making a difference with people. Uh, some of us, we go through stretches like that, where, man, I wish I was connecting with people, making a difference. I think that's part of the beauty of what the church is, is supposed to be for us. Not just so that we, a place that we can go to, that we can get fit, can get all this stuff, but so that I can go somewhere and I can bring life to somebody else. There's something beautiful in that. And so we always want you to know that, that there are ways that you can make a difference here. Um, anytime we talk about serving, we talk about being a difference maker, I want to I point you, even, you can go to our website. Simply, very easy way of doing this, centraljanesville.com slash serve. Uh, and there, there's going to be a, a place there where you could fill out, um, hey, hey, I'm interested in doing helping out at church in this kind of way. Uh, I will say this. 
most people don't get plugged into church unless they find ways to make a difference. When you make a difference, you get connected with people. You get, you've been disenfranchised by the church. That's why we see it as so important. Maybe this morning you've been disenfranchised by the church. Some of you here today, you may be keeping the church at a distance. I don't know what the reasons are. Maybe you don't even know what the reasons are sometimes. Or maybe you haven't been around the church very much, and it takes an act of God to even get you to church. An act of God called nachos tacos. Right? If that got you to church today, great. Awesome. Some of you have been going to church, but you've been doing it with every intention of hearing a sermon and not having to then interact with people. Some of you have been hurt by the church. Let me say this again. Yes, the church, just like every other institution in the world that is, that is full of people, can hurt. It can bring hurt. But I also say this. I believe the church is better than any other institution I've ever been around in the entire world. Because while we get things wrong so much of the time, when things get pointed back to Jesus, I've never seen it go wrong. When things are pointed back to Jesus, it is right. That's why I love the church. And I'm telling you, I've been a part of the church my entire life. And yes, it can stink sometimes. Even coming around, and even if the church is great, being around people some Sunday mornings, it, it hurts. You don't want to do it. I was talking to a lady this morning who, her husband is in the hospital, doesn't even know if she's going to make it. He's going to make it. And something brought her to church today. She's like, I was signed up to help out, and I'm, I'm coming to help. I'm like, you can go home. But she also was like, realizes that there's something valuable here, even when it hurts to come in. That's powerful. I'm telling you, there's something good in the church. You may not experience it every single week, but the more that we're a part of it, and the more that we incorporate ourselves into it, I'm just telling you guys, please listen. Jesus will make things better. He always does. I'm glad that Central Christian Church not only talks about bringing everybody in and making everybody a part of it, the least, the lonely, the lost. I'm glad that Central Christian Church is a church. I love that our people go into a school like Wilson Elementary and do an after-school program during the year. I love that our church continually, consistently helps foster families. Uh, we want to do a Christmas foster family celebration again for our foster families this year. We're looking at December 11th. I want you guys to be a part of it. Because I believe it's important to, to, to show everybody that you are valued. Jesus, Jesus cares about you, and we're going to show you that by caring about you ourselves. We support a free clinic for, for those who are poor in the area. We partner as a, as a whole church with a Spanish-speaking church and a, a black church in downtown Beloit. Because we want every single bit of this church to look like what the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, is meant to look like. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.